So the reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. Just as a body through one has many parts, but its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now, that, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Linz. You know, um, we always, uh, if you're ever asked to do a reading, we always, we always print out the reading, we send it to you. It's nice and large print for those of you who, who need that. So you don't need to sort of uh, worry about getting it. But Linz always reads from her own Bible. And I love that because actually what it, what it does is it reminds that this it's not you know, a passage that we have in isolation on a bit of paper. This is part of a whole story of um, God's mission in the world from beginning to end. And we, we always need to know where it kind of comes from, where it fits in. It's, it's great for us to be familiar with our Bible. So I'm really encouraged when Linz brings her Bible and reads from it. Um, and it, it challenges me to do the same. Uh, let's just pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your word and thank you that you um, have wisdom for us and you have a vision for us as your people to reflect your glory, to reflect your love, to reflect your beauty. Lord, thank you that you're a God who understands that we are broken people living in a broken world. Lord, thank you that there is hope and you've promised a day where every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord and a day when every tear will be wiped away and where every broken person will be renewed. And we seek you now to... Um, Teach us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're 
Uh, coming towards the end of this autumn series, uh, looking at the mission of the church and um, through kind of two lenses, really. Firstly, we've got the kind of capital vision 2030 for churches across London to consider our mission and what we're here to do. Um, you may remember from the beginning of the series, the word mission uh, relates to the Latin word meaning to send. Um, Greek word is apostolos, where we get apostles from. So when we talk about the mission of the church, we're talking about how we are sent into the world uh, to witness to Jesus, you know, either with Christmas flyers or otherwise. Um, but we're sent into the world to witness to Jesus. So the headline of that mission is um, at the top of that kind of triangle, uh, for every Londoner to experience the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that's the aim between now and 2030. Under that, um, we then look to these three ambitions um, to become and make confident disciples, uh, to foster compassionate communities and to generate growth creatively. Um, and we've heard about each of those and three priorities under that are for the church to grow younger, more racially diverse or just. Uh, we looked at that last Sunday. Um, and finally, safer. Um, that's our focus for today. Indeed, it is, um, you may or may not be aware that it is Safeguarding Sunday in the Church of England. This Sunday is sort of put aside each year to kind of highlight and promote um, uh, safeguarding. Um, within that broad missional framework of the church across the city, we've then, the PCC has identified three particular areas of focus uh, for us over the next three years, um, which are our own uh, missional priorities. They really sort of tie into all of those uh, of the above, actually, um, in different ways. And uh, developing our welcome to people outside of the church and our connection within it, so that kind of relational work from um, you know, outside to in. Um, investing in our ministry with children and young people. You'll have noticed if you're visiting this morning, we have a, a great crop of children and young people um, here at All Souls. And we want to um, not just sort of um, manage them in rooms. We want to, I think Ritesh put it brilliantly earlier about something about the sort of building the, the, the spiritual foundations for their life of walking with Jesus and, 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 and being part of his mission and ministry. And then rebooting our work with Ivy Bridge. Um, so those are three things we'll continue to hear a lot more about. Um, I should mention, actually, with Ivy Bridge, um, we, we um, uh, sort of committed, we didn't used to, to I don't think the, the flyers were delivered, the Christmas flyers were delivered to Ivy Bridge in the past. That's something we've committed to doing. It is slightly more complex because um, we have to have access um, to um, the, the, the blocks there. They all need, we've got a special key which gives us access, but it means um, we'd love to make sure we deliver all those flyers to Ivy Bridge, but if that's something you think you can help out with or give an hour to this week, contact me for th those ones and we'll go and do it together and that, that way we can make sure we get in. Um, those three things we'll continue to hear a lot more about. The PCC is this week identifying the first steps in each of those areas to take us forward in the year ahead. So please pray for that post process as the PCC meets um, on Tuesday night. Um, today then we're looking at this priority of becoming a safer church. And anyone who has seen anything of the news over the last 10 or 15 years or so, you'll be aware that this has been a time where this has been an area as a kind of real time of reckoning in the church, as with so many other organizations in society, where the sheer scale and impact of failure over such a long period of history has been devastating. And there's no way to avoid the kind of tragic truth that the church has fallen so far short 
of its calling to protect the vulnerable and weak in society, which is the very heart of Jesus, who we are committed to following and becoming more like. So I think on Safeguarding Sunday, there's this obvious kind of negative association with safeguarding and failures around it. And uh, with it, I think, comes a clear call to repentance in the church, um, which comes from that. However, because safeguarding is also something right at the heart of God, there is also an incredibly positive message to be spoken over uh, this. And to do that this morning, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12. Now, um, 1 Corinthians is a letter from Paul to the church that he established in Corinth. Um, He wrote it after receiving reports that the Christian community there was struggling with the challenge of living as a community of faith and holiness and facing questions of what it meant to be the church together. And Paul uses this uh, famous image of a body to help them understand how everyone, though different, has an important part to play in being church together. So verse 12, he says uh, this. Uh, Are we on the... Let's just try. Lovely, thank you. Um, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So this is this image of unity and diversity. Different parts of the body do different things, but they all are ultimately one thing. The body is the church, Christ is the head. So uh, then Paul goes on to say that that diversity is a strength, not a weakness. And he talks of Jews and Gentiles and slave and free. He's making it clear that there is no racial or socioeconomic hierarchy in this body. That was an incredibly countercultural idea in the world that Paul was writing into. We looked at that last week when we covered or, or kind of rather scratched the surface of, I should say, this subject of racial justice. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? Pretty dysfunctional is the answer to that. It just wouldn't work. So because every part has an important role to play, every part is of equal importance, of equal dignity and value. Which should come as no surprise to people that kind of profess that we are made in God's image. Every one of us bears God's image. We are objects of his love, his mercy, his delight. And I I know I keep saying this, but I think it's really worth um, stressing that one of the issues of the kind of the, the predominant secular world view is that we are all ultimately just developed amoebas or whatever. We have no intrinsic value. The thing that gives us our value is that we are made by the God who loves us, who has put value on us. Um, ethicists and morality debates really struggle with this one. Actually, without God's love, Where is that value in human life? What really makes it special? Picture how a child feels about, this is something that happens in our household sometimes, seeing their favorite toy broken. Picture the rage, the upset. That's how God feels about people abusing and hurting others, especially the vulnerable. So safeguarding is a natural part of the mission of the church. It's an outworking of God's heart. We all want all souls to be a place of safety and protection for all. But if we want our church to be a place that is safe for all, that values each person equally, we all have a role in making that happen. Um, 
And although our church has people with specific responsibilities for safeguarding, we'll talk about those in a bit, we'll all contribute to making the environment safer for all as Jesus' disciples. In verses 22 and 23, Paul talks about how um, we treat different parts of the, we treat the parts of the body that are weaker and less honorable. Um, In today's language, perhaps we might talk about those who are more vulnerable or at risk of harm. What does that mean in the context of our church community? Well, it's important to note here that all of us at some time in our lives may fall into this category because of our age or our life circumstances. There are a number of factors that might increase a person's vulnerability to, um, to risk of harm or abuse. So it's important that as churches we're familiar with those factors that might mean that a person can't protect themselves or their own interests or which could give an opportunity for others to neglect or exploit or abuse them. Which is why everyone on our staff team and our PCC, like I said, that's the elected church leadership team, plus our children's and youth teams along those, uh, alongside those who work with uh, vulnerable adults, they all undergo our safer recruitment process, including safeguarding training and enhanced DBS checks. And if you've ever been asked to do that, if you've ever stepped up for a role and we said, can you, can you do this process? Can you go through this re- recruitment process? Don't ever think of it as a kind of finger of suspicion pointing at you. Think of it as an act of worship to a God to whom this is really important as we seek to reflect his heart in and through those ministries and our service. And uh, then in verse 25, Paul explains then that every part of the body should have equal concern or care for one another. These are key biblical teachings. But how does this relate to creating communities that are, and cultures that are safer? I think it's um, about being proactive and not just reactive. It means looking out for each other, not just to spot the signs and indicators of risk and harm, but being prepared to take action, to speak out, to report any concerns at the right time and in the right way to the right people. So yes, uh, safeguarding is often associated with processes and procedures and background checks and training and policies, etc. However, at its heart is a desire to be on the front foot with this stuff. Once upon a time, not so long ago perhaps, safeguarding was seen as a topic to be invoked only when something had gone wrong. Talking about safeguarding meant, oh no, something has gone wrong. It was like highlighting the problem that exists. Today, I think we do better because we talk about safeguarding and our desire to be a safer church. We are just simply living out Jesus' calling to love one another as ourselves. It's just obedience. And within our church, as within most organizations, we have people with specific responsibilities um, for safeguarding who will follow up any concerns. Um, However, when it comes to reducing the risk of harm or abuse happening, none of us should say, because I'm not the safeguarding lead or I'm not the vicar or curer or the children's team, I don't have a role to play. Each of us can be the eyes and ears for vulnerable people and support those who may be at risk. Final verse, in verse um, 26, Paul talks about those in the body, the church, who have suffered or are suffering. We just need to look at the headlines to read cases of people across society who have suffered abuse both within our churches and in every area of society how we respond to those people who have experienced or suffered abuse is vital 
in demonstrating our love and unity and our desire to be like Jesus and do what he did. So often Jesus championed the cause of the victims of abuse and misuse of power. Do we do the same? Do we support the fight for justice? Do we, like him, align ourselves with those who have suffered and come alongside them as Jesus did, talking truth to power? In just a moment, I'm going to invite um, Catherine and Ava, our safeguarding leads, to um, come up and talk a little bit about how how some of our safeguarding processes work in practice. Um, And then after that, we're going to take um, a moment to say some words of prayer together, to recommit ourselves as a church that strives to be a safe place for all. And just before, you know, it would be remiss of me not to say that I realize for some of us, you know, perhaps many of us this morning, this stuff is not um, hypothetical or out there. This is simply the statistical reality. I know that some of you are survivors of abuse. And I know that some of you will have talked to someone about that. Um, Others of you haven't um, yet. And you know, this may or may not be a day that you choose to do that. But I want you to know that Jesus is always waiting. And so are we. We commit to being ready to listen and to support as the loving body of Christ. Um, There are amazing and wonderful stories of how Jesus has brought healing to people left utterly broken by the sin of others. He did it then. He's still doing it now. He's waiting when you're ready. But I'm going to welcome Catherine and Ava up now if they'd like to come. Um, there are church safeguarding officers for young people and for vulnerable adults. Um, together with John and I, they form the All Souls Safeguarding Team. So um, why don't we just welcome up with a little round of applause? Yes. <laughs> so I'll, um, I'll give you a microphone here. So um, I'll pass that to you first. So they're not always... Yes, they are. So on our term cards, you can find, for a start... Um, If you've got our term cards, you can see who they are and where they are and an email address there as well. Um, First of all, uh, Catherine and Ava, why don't you just introduce yourselves to anyone who doesn't doesn't know you? Hi. Yes, this is on. So, hi everyone. I'm Catherine. Um, um, I've got two kids here, married to Nick, um, and I am the safeguarding lead with particular responsibility for children and young people. Brilliant. Good morning, I'm Eva, and I've been at All Souls since 2014 or so. My son, Brooks, is 18. He's off in the U.S. on the gap year, getting ready to apply to university, and I'm the safeguarding lead for adults here at All Souls. Fantastic. So could you just explain kind of what you do and what the safeguarding team does, um, as it were? I'll have a go. So um, I think the formal responsibility really is being the link between All Souls and the diocese in the event of safeguarding concerns. So if there was to be anything that um, was reported that we became aware of, we obviously take that incredibly seriously. The diocese is there to provide advice and we would be the formal link with that. Um, We're also uh, responsible for ensuring that the processes and the policies are in place. So um, I won't do a show of hands, but um, there is a policy written out and um, on display at the back of the church. I'm hope- 
hoping you all know that's there. But the, so we, um, we ensure that that policy is updated and ratified every year by PCC. Um, and then we work with the safeguarding subcommittee, which is Joe and John and ourselves, to um, be a bit of a critical friend, really, and kind of ask questions about how things are going, uh, whether risks are being identified. Um, and I think really, Joe, it's what you were saying about there's definitely something about the processes, but there's also a lot about prevention and actually creating a safer culture. So working to ensure that actually we are a church which is, uh, feels safe, but also where people who are, do have concerns are raising those concerns. Brilliant. Okay. And then Eva, why, why don't you tell us just a little bit about the, the, the safeguarding policy um, um, and, and how, how do people know how to, to contact you? I mean, I'm sorry, I've got spoilers, haven't I? I've just started. But um, I think it's, it's worth saying, isn't it, that um, churches are encouraged, it's good practice for the vicar or the clergy not to be the safeguarding leads. And what that means is, of course, you can come and, and bring safeguarding concerns to me. But it means that also, if your safeguarding concern relates to in any way the church leadership, you, you've got someone to go to um, who, is, who is not the church leader. So, um, Ava, to, uh, what, what, what have I left you? Or have I gone to next place? How do people get in touch? I'm, I'm here on church this morning. How do I know to get in contact with you? How can I get in contact with you? So, I should just say one thing about the, the role of governance. So. Yeah. All Souls has a PCC, which you're all familiar with, and that's responsible for oversight and governance of the affairs of the church. And to All Souls' credit, safeguarding is something that's discussed on a regular basis at the PCC because we want to make sure that the congregation knows that well-being and safety of our parish, of our congregation, is a governance issue. And so that's something that's raised on a regular basis, just so people know that. But you can reach us through, I think our email addresses are, are on there. And if you have any concerns around children, that's uh, Catherine. And if you have concerns about adults, that's me. And just to emphasize what Joe said, it's not just about something has happened, but we also want to make sure that we're communicating that this is something about prevention. And so we're also paying attention. If we know that perhaps there are vulnerable adults, if there are particular issues, we're always watching to make sure that folks are okay, is someone checking on person X or person Y? So it's also a very proactive approach that we're taking to the issue. Yeah, and it's, it's good. I mean, you, uh, Catherine mentioned as well the, the diocese. So one of the things that I think has probably changed in, in, in recent years is that the diocese has now got um, kind of a dedicated staff team to this. We are in the Kensington area. We have a uh, kind of a Kensington area safeguarding officer, uh, Karen Weber. And what, what's fantastic is to have that relationship. It means that we can ring her up, and we, we often do, <laughs> uh, and actually recognize the limitations, even though all the different levels of training we've been through, to know that there's somebody there who is, that, that is their profession. That is what they're experts on. And so we can ask them and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And they can then sort of help us and support us and guide us through what best practice would be in each of those uh, situations. Just to say as well, um, as well as the email address on there, this, this poster, which legally we have to have in our entrance, um, if you go past there, you should find, I think, the phone numbers as well for these guys as well. So that enables you just on your way on your way out to actually take their numbers and, and they've made their numbers available so you can phone them. Um, directly as well. So um, that's a little bit about that and what we do as a, as a, as a church. But where I wanted to end um, before uh, Catherine and Eva sit down, I, I, I thought it'd just be good. Um, some resources have been prepared for Safeguarding Sunday, um, involving some sort of prayers, almost of commitment. And what I wanted to do is um, to finish, really, by just asking us all to say these words and these prayers 
uh, together. So can I invite you to stand? And uh, I'll say the words in, in white if you'd uh, respond with the words in yellow. Let's pray. Into the dark places of our world, where people are frightened and hungry, God bring light, bring love. Into places where people are violent, into places where people are fighting, God bring light, bring love. Into the places where we feel unsafe, into situations that hurt us and scare us, God bring light, bring love. We ask our prayers in Jesus' name and in the Holy Spirit's power. Amen. And finally we say together, God, help us to be a church that loves, welcomes, protects, listens, learns, serves, repents, restores, transforms, values, cares, believes. God of justice and compassion, hear our prayer. Help us, heal us, guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.